you have your Bible, please turn with me to the fourth chapter of Luke. Luke. Our text today will be verse 31 through 37. Verse 31 through 37. Last time we were together, Jesus had left his hometown of Nazareth where he had proclaimed that he indeed was the anointed one, the Messiah. And he had come to usher in the eternal jubilee, the year of the Lord's blessing, the Lord's favor, whereby those in captive would be set free. Those with debt would be totally covered, debt free. All those who are slaves, their chains would be broken. Christ has come to do that for us and to usher in the year of Jubilee. But rather than bringing a great revival there in Nazareth, Christ's word revealed the hearts of his listeners in their pridefulness, in their vain expectations. And ultimately, they rejected their Lord, their own kinsmen. Seeking to kill Him, they pushed Him out to the mount where they were going to stone Him. But Christ in power and authority miraculously walks right through them unscathed. Today, He presses north towards Capernaum. You're going to pull up the map real fast. You can see what He does here. This is all within the region of Galilee still. So He goes from Nazareth. He moves up northeast going up towards Capernaum. Now Capernaum is a major fishing city there on the northwest point of the Sea of Galilee. It's a, a, one of the larger cities in Galilee. And there Jesus goes to continue His ministry in spite of the rejection He has just faced. And like we talked about last week, Christ is not only our King, our Lord, our Savior, He is also our example. And one of the things that we must learn from Christ is before we move into our text this morning is the sheer faithfulness and perseverance by which He presses on His ministry. In spite of rejection, in spite of the shortcomings, in spite of being put down by His own hometown, Christ continues on. And this morning I want you to know no matter where you are in your ministry, no matter what rejection you may have faced from your family, no matter what hurdles that seem to stand ahead of you this morning, the call of Christ is to press on. Don't stop. Press on. You will have doors shut. You will be rejected. Keep moving forward in faithfulness to Christ. And He moves forward in complete faithfulness this morning. And we see He continues in Capernaum. If you would stand with me for the reading of the Word this morning. Luke 4. Verse 31 through 37, we read, And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. 
and reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated this morning. When Jesus came, heaven pierced earth. Light pierced darkness. God in the flesh had come fulfilling every promise that He had given and beginning the process of cosmic redemption, retribution, and restoration in and through the Son, Jesus Christ. He came to begin a kingdom conquest whereby He would valiantly defeat the dragon, the depravity, and the death that held His elect bride captive. And from there He would press forward into all peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations to rescue every part of her back to Himself. A conquest which very much continues today. As the risen, reigning, ruling King Jesus continues to advance His kingdom through His body into all the nations. But what would this king use as the primary weapon for his kingdom conquest? How would he slay the powers of darkness and redeem his beloved bride? What of all the things the king of glory, the king of heaven could use as a weapon? What would this king choose? And the answer is His Word. His Word is His weapon. The Word of Christ is the sword of His conquest. It is the means by which He defensively yields off the attacks of the enemy. You saw that with the temptation of Satan. What did He use to defend off the blows? The Word. But it is also what He uses offensively to destroy the powers of darkness and to advance His kingdom and to prune and protect His people. It's why in Revelation, we get that beautiful symbolic picture of the glorified Jesus. And one of the interesting descriptions we we are told of Him in glory as the high King of heaven is this. We read in Revelation 1.16 that from His mouth, came a sharp two-edged sword. It's an interesting place to have a sword. But it isn't when you understand what the sword represents. The sword that is visioned there in the mouth of Christ is His Word. We, We get this clarified for us by the writer of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, we see... For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. My friend, a real sword can pierce the flesh. It can pierce the physical heart but it cannot pierce the soul of men. 
Only the Word of Christ can do this. This is why it is the most powerful weapon there is. The weapon of the Word of Christ. For King Jesus, His Word was and is His weapon for the conquering of His kingdom. And as His people, as His body, His weapon remains our weapon as well. My friends, you were called to a battle in Christ. You have been enlisted in an army of the Almighty to go against the powers of darkness. But take heart. You've been given the greatest weapon ever forged in the Word of Christ. Here's the simple and straightforward point of this message this morning. The Word of Christ is the single greatest kingdom weapon for defeating darkness and delivering souls. Straightforward. The Word of Christ is the single greatest kingdom weapon for destroying darkness and delivering souls. I think we'll see that absolutely clear, abundantly clear this morning from our text. So let's look at each aspect of the power of Christ's Word, the authority of this amazing weapon. The first thing we see this morning is the authority of Christ's Word. Verse 31 and 32, He went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. He was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at His teaching. Why? For His Word possessed authority. This is why they are marveling. They are marveling specifically because of the authoritative manner by which He speaks. We find our Lord once again where? In a synagogue. As He often was. As was His custom. He goes to where the people of God are gathered there to teach and to preach. Now what's fascinating about the synagogue in Capernaum, we'll learn this a little bit later on in Luke 7, is that this Capernaum synagogue was actually built by a centurion, a Roman centurion of all people. And the Lord will actually heal His servant in Luke 7. Now, the people who heard Him are amazed at this teaching. Astonished, we are told. Marveling. Never heard anything like this one who now speaks to us because of the manner of authority by which He speaks. Never had they heard someone speak with such conviction, such assurance that what he says will be and is true. Souls were being convicted, hearts being pierced, lives being transformed, all because Jesus spoke. He spoke and things happened. Marvelous things happened. What kind of word is this? What kind of authority is this? That He speaks and every heart is moved. What, what, did, what did they mean, right? How do you hear someone's word and just think immediately authority? What was it about the way that Christ was speaking that separated himself from all the other rabbis, all the other teachers that they had heard that made this a word like no other. 
Well, we get a glimpse of this in Matthew 7, of the difference here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29, we read that when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So his authority that he's teaching with is different from the manner in which the scribes taught. Now, what was this all about? You see, in the ancient times, right, when there was a, a, a Jewish rabbi who would come to teach, they established their authority based on the quality of their citations. Meaning, who was it that they were quoting? I come from the school of Hillel. I come from the school of Gamaliel, right? It was, who is it that they can quote? It was a, a big thing with, among Jewish teachers to never want to say anything that was considered novel. I don't want anything to be an original thought. Because the authority was not in their original thinking. It was in how many ancient traditions can I quote? The scribes taught from their tradition. But for Jesus, His word alone was sufficient. They needed sources. Christ said, I have spoken. You get a, a lot of this in the Sermon on the Mount. I'll give you just one example here. Matthew 5, 21-22. You have heard that it was said of those of old, tradition, right? You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. True, right? But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. You have heard it said, but I say to you, who can speak this way? That's not just some old tradition at the top. That's a commandment of God. Who in the world can dare expound on the revelation of God? Who, in da- who dare can add to the revelation of God like this Jesus is doing? The reason why Jesus could do this and it not be blasphemy. The reason why Jesus could speak with the authority of His own Word is because Jesus is both God and the Word. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word. Here John takes us all the way back to Genesis 1, where what do we see in the very beginning? Right? God spoke, and it was all of creation. The Word is the active agent by by which God created all things. But this Word is not merely an extension of God. The Word is God Himself and with God. Who is this Word? And we read in verse 14 of John 1, And the Word became flesh 
and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word which spoke creation into being now walked in flesh among the people. Jesus did not need to cite any other source of authority. Because beyond His words, there's no other authority to appeal to. There's no higher authority to appeal to than Jesus' word. It would be a main waste of a time for Him to quote other writers. My friends, Jesus is the source of the authoritative word. He is the substance of the authoritative word. And from Genesis to Revelation, all of it directs and points to him, meaning that he is the sum of the authoritative word. He is the source, the substance, and the sum of the revelatory word, the authoritative word of God. Luke highlights the preaching of Jesus' word first and before any other miracle he's ever performed. Why? Because Luke wants to demonstrate that it, it, it is in Christ's word alone where power and authority belong. So much so that we'll see the miracle flows from the word, not divorced from it. The one who spoke all of creation into existence now preaches himself to the ones he formed and fashioned. This is marvelous. The living word expounding the word. There is no higher authority than this. Tradition will do nothing for this. The sole word of Christ has all the authority necessary into it to bring all powers and men unto submission. Because there is no higher authority. This is why we believe in the reformational principle of sola scriptura. Scripture alone. Which simply means this. There is no higher authority to which men can appeal to than the word of Christ. It does not, that does not mean there is no place for confessions or creeds, traditions or teachings. It doesn't mean that there's no place for those things. It simply means this. The only infallible authority we can ever claim is when we speak this verbatim. My friends, the only authority I ever hold as a preacher of the gospel is in the expounding of the infallible, perfect, all-sufficient word of Christ. That's it. I'm just a bum elsewhere. I'm still kind of a bum. But, but, this is where the authority is. This is where everything must come back to. And every tradition and teaching 
and confession and creed must be held under this authority. And where it is wrong, we reject it. This is our final authority on all matters of faith and principle and practice. Jesus' word is the ultimate authority. He speaks and it happens because it moves men to submission. And that is because Jesus' word not only is the supreme authority, but secondly, Jesus' word is the superior power. We see now the power of Christ's words. Verse 33 through 35. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had, in the, had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! Huh, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. This is remarkable. And it is the first miracle accounted in both Mark and Luke's gospel. The parallel account to this, if you want to read it, is, is Mark chapter 1, verse 21 through 28. It's the same account. And that's probably the main source that Luke uses for this. But this is the first miracle that they put forth in their gospel. The preaching of the word leading to the expulsion of a demon. Now, there are four aspects of the power of Christ's word that is demonstrated within these verses. And that is this. We see that the power of Christ's word reveals darkness. The power of Christ's word repels darkness. The power of Christ's word rebukes darkness. And the power of Christ's word redeems from darkness. So you get all of that here. We're told... That literally while Jesus is just there preaching, he's not doing anything else. He's just preaching the word there. He is preaching to them truth, unfolding who he is to them from the scriptures. And out of nowhere, as everyone is just sitting there, eyes locked on him, fixed upon the word coming to them. Out of nowhere, a terrifying cry comes out from the midst of them. Ah, who is that? can imagine the poor man who was sitting to the guy. You know? Shakes you out of it. You're locked into teaching. All of a sudden, this terrifying sound that comes from this man, but it's very clear, this is not the man speaking. But an unclean demon from within him. I want to be very clear, brothers and sisters, this is not mental illness. Dr. Luke knows illnesses. And he will make very clear in the next section that you will read next week, a illness. Peter's mother-in-law, sick with a fever. And another demon Jesus will cast out. He knows his categories of sickness. This is not illness. This is not schizophrenia. This is a real dark demon. This is real. The man is possessed by an unclean spirit, an agent of Satan, a principality of darkness. Now we in the modern West don't tend to think much of spiritual darkness. We tend to see demons as nothing more than B-rate horror movies. We laugh them off and mock at them. We dress like them at Grammy shows. 
We think nothing much of demonic and spiritual warfare. And I tell you what, that may be one of the greatest weapons that Satan's ever used. It's to make you think very little of the realities of darkness. And the fact that you are in a real spiritual war. And I pray that God would do what He did with the servants of Elijah to open your eyes to see the realities of spiritual war around you. But also to let you see the realities that far greater is He with you in Christ than he who is against you. What's interesting though, is there is almost nothing in the Old Testament about demonic exorcism. We don't see hardly any examples of it. Oftentimes we hear of the counts of the fallen angels and things like that, but apart from maybe Genesis 6 and others, they rarely are ever a part of the story and the narrative. These things are happening... But most of what we see in the Old Testament is the reality of flesh and blood warring with one another because of the realities of spiritual darkness. But in the New Testament, something changes. Something happens with the coming of Christ that now demons are just getting exercised everywhere. I mean, literally, the title for Christ in the Gospel of Mark is the divine exorcist. Because almost every page of Mark, there's another demon gone, another demon gone, another demon gone. What in the world has happened in redemptive history that has led to this, this, reve- this revelation and this repulsing of the powers of darkness? And the answer is, enter Jesus. Enter Jesus. When Jesus came, my friend, the kingdom of God came with Him. And it came to begin a conquest against the powers of darkness. Christ came as the greater Joshua to bring about a greater kingdom conquest that did not involve a strip of land called Canaan, but involved the entire cosmos. We will will read in Luke 11.20 where Jesus says this, If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So what are we seeing in Capernaum? The kingdom's come. The kingdom's there. And the powers of darkness are slowly retreating. The reason there is so much demonic exorcism, so much revealing of the principalities of darkness with the coming of Jesus, is because the light came into the world. And light reveals darkness. It reveals it and it repels it. Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. 1 John 3, verse 8, we read the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now you see the warfare. He said it himself, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. What's his sword? The word. And wherever you preach this, it will divide. I promise you it will divide. It will divide and it will come with attacks because it repels darkness. It's revulsing to darkness because darkness wishes to remain in the dark. But it cannot do so when the light of Christ is shown. 
All of this kingdom, this demonic conflict is merely the supreme picture that the kingdom of God has come. And my friends, it's still here. This kind of conflict is still happening. And it will happen until Christ returns to decimate it once and for all. This kind of spiritual warfare of the light versus darkness of the kingdom of God slowly conquering and bringing conquest over the powers of darkness is very real and you're very much a part of it. Unclean spirits, principalities of darkness, they're all real. But Christ is greater and more powerful than all of them combined. And in Him alone, we can find victory over every form of darkness. As Christ's Word is going forth, the first thing it does is it reveals this darkness. Notice, literally just as He's preaching, the darkness rises to the surface. The The demon just cries out nowhere. As the word of Christ is going forward, the darkness is being exposed and it must reveal itself. The word of Christ is not neutral. It unsettles the powers of darkness. And it will create a response. It will. And evil will show itself when shown against the word of Christ. I want you to notice something very important though. The location of where this takes place. This is all happening in a synagogue. In the synagogue is the first place we see a demon exercised. Luke is wanting to make really clear, and I think even Mark too. All these Jews who thought their enemy was Rome. No, you are under the oppression of so much, something so much darker and greater. And that's what I came to liberate you from. Men are not unclean. It is the darkness which exists in them that must be cleansed. Which is why the Lord could say to Peter, don't call men unclean. Men are not the problem. It's the darkness within them that must be cleansed. Here he is sitting in a synagogue. And there's nothing about this man that anyone else around him thought that he was out of place. Likely this is someone who's been going there all their life. This is Jim. He's been hanging out here all the time. We went fishing this yesterday evening, right? There's nothing about this text that's like everybody was a little put off by the guy. No, he fit right in. The Word of God, as, we're, as Christ spoke, it begins to bubble up and reveal itself in the midst of the synagogue. He's not like the demoniac shackled in the caves of Gennesaret. Because everyone's like, yeah, that dude's totally demon- demonic possessed. He's sitting in the middle of the sanctuary. This man has sat in the synagogue and notice he has comfortably sat while men preached their traditions. This man, this evil being within this man has never grown unsettled when men preached their traditions. 
That's why the Lord will say elsewhere, by using, by elevating the traditions of men, you have made the scriptures null and void, he says to the people. Because where does the power belong? Not in my traditions, not in what we've done. It's here in the word. And it exposes, it reveals this demonic force. Oh, how long had that serpent comfortably set in a synagogue? My friends, I want you to know, even to this day, there are many serpents comfortably sitting in sanctuaries. And it's precisely because the word of Christ isn't being proclaimed there anymore. Rather than taught straightforward, the word of Christ is twisted, manipulated, taken out of context, or closed altogether, lest someone be offended by the ancient words of unwoke patriarchal bigots. That might be offensive. We shouldn't say that. Maybe we should skip over that part. If I ever watch another sermon where this stays closed the whole time, I, I don't know what to do. I don't got five steps for you to a better marriage. But what I do have, I give unto you. Because this is power. This changes lives. And there are many serpents in sanctuaries today Sitting comfortably, not only sitting, but standing and preaching in most of them. Because there's no doubt that the serpent knows the word. Satan quoted it all to Jesus. And yet he manipulated and twisted it every step of the way. But when the word of Christ is proclaimed in all of its fullness and power and truth as directing and pointing to the only one who can redeem and save us, Jesus Christ, I assure you, Satan cannot sit comfortably by. And so what we, you know, years ago they wanted to become seeker sensitive. They've only become serpent sensitive. How well can we let serpents come here and sit comfortably by and never talk about holiness and never talk about sin and never talk about depravity? But not Christ. Christ speaks truth and where Christ truly speaks, evil is revealed and it cannot sit long. It cannot sit comfortably and idly by without being repulsed by what it hears in the light of Christ's word. Let us beware of despising true preaching. Because in every age of the church, it has been God's principal instrument for awakening sinners, the edifying of saints, and the repelling of darkness. Revival will go where the Word goes. The Word of God is the weapon that we wage. And so, yes, I know that that seemed long. And Schman used a lot of Bible verses in that. You referenced a lot of texts. What else do you want me to give you? What else could I possibly give you this morning than His Word? What else can I give you to remove every fiber of darkness that lingers over your life than the power of Christ's Word? So I get it. I don't want to hear me either. But I want to hear Christ. I do want to hear Him. I want to hear His Word and I want His power to overcome me. Now, notice 
This Holy Spirit, or excuse me, this unclean, this unholy spirit, he wants to get away as fast as possible. He is repulsed by Christ and his speaking. He wants to get away. He notices who Jesus is. And I love this because it shows you this demon's theology spot on. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. That's good theology because he's right. He probably he knew more then than anybody else in that synagogue did. And this demon is absolutely shaking at the knees. That word ha is a terrible translation. I don't even know why they put it like that. It should have the letters reversed. Ah! That's what it is. In Mark's account, he literally says, Leave us alone. We don't want you here. It's repulsive. It's it's fearful. He's shaking at the knees. This is a statement of absolute fear spoken by this demon because he knows with perfect theology who is now in his presence and who speaks with power. This is precisely the heart behind James' words in James 2.19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. There was no controversy for these demons to know who he was. They knew all along. When Satan was tempting him, he knew all along who he was tempting and what he was trying to tempt him from. They know very good theology. It is absolutely possible, my friends, to have a cognitive belief in Jesus and not have saving faith. Spurgeon once said, the furthest distance men ever travel is the 18 inches between their head and their heart. Because if it's just here and not here, you are dead in your sins and trespasses this morning. Even the demons believe and shudder. They have a knowledge of the holy fear of God. Because here's the truth of it, brothers and sisters. Even though their theology may be skewed, Romans 1 makes clear that every person holds and has the knowledge of God. They merely suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So cognitive theology is not not the problem. It's dead hearts. Unchanged lives. Transformed souls that have been changed by the renewing and new birth of the Holy Spirit of God. This man likely believed in God and been raised around it his whole life. Just like the demon inside of him did. But he had no saving knowledge of the Christ. He had not been born again by grace. And as such, he was still an empty vessel. No born-again believer, my friends. I want to make this very clear. No born-again believer in Jesus can be demonically possessed. It is impossible. Why? Because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Christ has taken residence in you and ain't no one throwing Him off that throne. But if you have yet to be filled by the Holy Spirit... 
born again by grace, then you are fair game for demonic power. Because you can go and sweep up your life. There is a parable of this. A man who had one demon in him, the demon left and he comes back to find the place all, all cleansed. Why? This person had probably went and followed a self-help model. They had went and listened to a new good teacher, a new moral and ethical follower, maybe a, a, a professor of ethics. And they went and they tried to clean up their lives through their own man-made efforts. They swept and cleaned up their soul. But guess what? The house was still empty. And so what did he do? He brought back seven of his friends with him so that the end state of the man was worse than the first. What you need today is not a new method. What you need today is not a way to make your life better for yourself. What you need today is not seven steps for how you can go and live a more successful life. What you need more than anything else is to be born again by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And to have the Holy Spirit of God take residence in you. For until then, you are totally vulnerable to darkness. But when He is in you, you are safe and secure. Yes, we can be attacked. Yes, we can be opposed. But we cannot be possessed in Christ. My friends, let, it never be, let us never be content to know religion with our heads only. May we go on all of our lives saying, I know that, and I know that. I know that theology, and I can, I can explain to you the doctrines of grace and, and, and define to you perfect soteriology and lay out theology proper and define the Trinity with a perfect chart and analysis. And yet the reality of the Trinity has never once moved your heart to the glories of God. The realities of soteriology have never broke your back to lay prostrate at God for His overwhelming, amazing grace. That the realities of what He has done for you has never moved you in love towards another. If that's you, then it's just here. And for many, I know that, and I know that will be the last, lip, last words on their lips as they enter hell. For many will profess, Jesus, did I not cast out demons in your name? And he'll say, depart from me if I never knew you. Is it here? Is your life changed by it? You could be on the thief of the you could be like the thief on the cross and know the smallest doctrine and yet experience the greatest salvation. Or you could be like the Pharisee, knowing the greatest doctrines and yet walking towards judgment every step of the way. Where is your religion? Does it lie in your head or has it transformed your heart? For when Christ's word goes forth, it is a piercing light which reveals and repels darkness. This is what creates conviction in you. When you hear the word of God, and it's creating that little like, yeah, I kind of did that yesterday. And that's not good. And I'm struggling with that. That's what it's doing. The light is revealing darkness in you, bringing it to the surface so that you can do what? Repent, confess it, cast it at the feet of Jesus and be cleansed and renewed and restored. That's why the worst thing that you want to do is when, when you feel conviction coming up, it's just to press it down or to get angry at the preacher that that word came through. 
If you have never felt unsettled in a church service, you haven't been hearing the word of Christ. And if that's what has, if that's been your story here at Hillside, please forgive me. Please forgive me for not preaching faithful enough if you've never been unsettled here by the word. My friends, if you proclaim the truth of Christ to a dark world, you're going to get pushback. You're going to. When you hear, well, I don't like that. I know you don't. I know. But it's truth and it will set you free. It will set you free. Paul was very clear that there would be a time when men would not, they would not stand fast for this. They would want preaching for the itching of ears. We see it everywhere today. But this is, that, is not the, that is not preaching or teaching that comes with power. Because it doesn't transform your life. It doesn't work as a part of the sanctifying process of the Spirit. That's why preaching is a means of grace. Because it's the tool that Christ uses to prune His people. And pruning hurts. But it's necessary for new life and new growth and new beauty to be shown forth. My friends, Christ's word doesn't just reveal and repel darkness, it rebukes it. Notice what Jesus says to hear him. He says, be silent. Come out of him. Jesus is not interested in the endorsement of devils. So be weary when, who, when you know who's speaking well of you. My friends, not all endorsements are equal. And if our word repels the powers of darkness, if the world is speaking well of our message, we probably should be weary of what we're saying. My friends, Christ is the Holy One. And so He rebukes the Spirit and casts Him out. And immediately the Spirit leaves this man. There's no debate here. Christ speaks and He's out. Just as He spoke and Lazarus came out of death, He speaks and this demon comes out of the man. There's no debate with Christ. There's no like, well, can you say it again? No. He speaks and it is. Just like when God spoke, there was light. Why? Because this is the same one who did it. And where the word of Christ goes, power follows. It follows. And things happen. And souls are redeemed. And darkness is rebuked. Now, notice something fascinating here. The demon is clearly referred to in the singular. Looked at the Greek just to double check. But it is singular. There's only one demon in context here. And yet, notice the language he uses is plural. Have you come to destroy us? Now, at first I thought he was just talking about like demonic principalities and powers in general. And it could be. But I actually don't think that anymore. I think he's not only referring to himself, but he's referring to his host. And the reason why 
is because notice how it ends. With the man, it makes very clear that he was left untouched. In other words, this demon is not just trembling in fear. He's actually trying to threaten Jesus. If you destroy us, you've got to take him too. I'm not letting him go. I'll destroy him with me. In order to get me, you're going to have to get him too. That's what he's trying to put to the test here. He's picked the wrong fight, that's for sure. This is a challenge presented to Christ. And the reason why I believe that more and more, not only because of the nature of the text itself and what it says to us, but because of this very clear truth. The Bible says the enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants nothing more than to destroy the life of his host. Whether he can use addiction, drugs, violence, abuse, whatever he can use, his goal is to destroy you. To make your life unbearable so that you can finish the job. That's what he wants. That's what makes Christ's deliverance all the more powerful. You see, Jesus' word not only revealed, repelled, and rebuked darkness, but he perfectly redeemed this man. We are told that he was, the demon was cast out, the man was cast to the floor, and was perfectly unharmed. Completely untouched by the demon. Man, he is completely cleansed. Completely healed. Only Jesus can do that. Where even the vestiges that had already been created by the darkness of that that demon living in that man, all of it's gone. That's what it means to have new life in Christ. That every single nook and cranny of your soul that was impacted by the darkness you once lived in can be cleansed in an instant by Jesus. I hope you believe that today. I hope you are not living under the shame and guilt of what once was. Because you have been completely cleansed if you're in Jesus today. You are brand new in Him. And what once had power over you does not have power over you anymore. So stop trying, stop feeding past darkness with your shame. Because it's dead in Christ. When He spoke deliverance over you in His effectual calling, the darkness was gone in an instant. Live in the freedom and the glories you have in Christ by the power of His Word. I don't care what kind of darkness men find themselves under. I don't care what kind of darkness you find yourself under, whether it is demons or depravity. You must give them the Word of Jesus. That's the greatest thing we can give men in this world is give them the Word of Christ. You can give them all the other things you want. You can give them good advice. You can give them cups of cold water. You can give all of that. And that's wonderful and great. It won't ever deliver a soul. 
It won't ever do anything to gain ground against the kingdom of darkness if you aren't wielding this sword of righteousness. My friend, demonic possession is still real. And there are countless unbelievers under such influence. There are many of us in this room who may be under demonic attack because it's real. Demonic strongholds are real. And yet they do not stand a chance against the sharp sword of Christ's word. It is too powerful. And he can come into you and grant you repentance and faith. And he can do this for any single soul and turn their soul, which was once a den of vipers, and make it a throne of the living God. If you're in Christ, that's your testimony. Jesus is sovereign over all the forces of darkness. And with a single word, they are forced to act in submission. This is the first of several Sabbath miracles that Jesus will perform throughout Luke. Why? Because the Lord of the Sabbath has come. And He's come to bring real rest. Not artificial rest. This man was resting with serpents. That day, he got real rest in Jesus. The kingdom of God had come to Capernaum. And the kingdom of darkness is on the run. And this causes what it should cause every one of us. When we are impacted by the authority and power of Christ's word, we see the spread of Christ's word. Verse 36 through 37. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And the reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. My friends, when you have seen the power and the authority of Christ's word, when you have seen what the word of Christ can do in the lives of individuals against the powers of darkness to destroy darkness and to deliver souls, how can you not go and spread it? How can you be afraid to give people the only thing that gave you deliverance? How can you hate someone so much to be more afraid of their feelings than their souls? My friends, if you know that all the power and authority to tear down the powers of darkness exist in the word of Christ, why are we giving anyone anything else? Why are we not reading this in our homes? Why are we not praying this over our children? Why are we not spending day and night meditating upon its precepts? Why are we not filling our hearts with such light? Why is it so absent from our conversations? My friends, the people of Capernaum May not have fully understood what was going on. But they know a word like this. What word is this? This is a word like no other. It comes with power and authority. And it is making real impact and revealing darkness. And it's kind of freaking us out. But it's also really amazing. That's how you should feel in the presence of God. Half the times when I see God do stuff and see what He's doing in the lives of others and see what He's doing in the lives of people in this church, part of it scares me because like, oh, that's crazy. And then the other side is like, wow, that's amazing. I still want to tell people. Because when you come in contact with the Holy One of God, 
The sin of you is going to be unsettled. The darkness of you will be repelled. But He will speak life into you through His Word. And little by little, cleanse you with the sweet nectar of these precepts. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And yet we choose to close it and go be the blind leading the blind. And when we do, we will always fall. But we have the word of Christ. The more perfect word, what Peter says. Peter said, I saw all the stuff. I saw him raised from the dead. But we have a more sure word. And that's what he appealed to. Why? Because the power and authority was here. And every miracle Christ performed was because of realities he spoke. So how can we not go and spread the word like those at Capernaum? May we be like those in Capernaum and leave this place sharing the powerful and authoritative word of Christ that the powers of darkness may be overcome and precious souls delivered. Here's three quick takeaways I want to give you today just to leave. First, we neglect the word of Christ at our own peril. You could be saved. I'm not saying you're not saved. You don't read the word. We're not playing that game. But you will be spiritually unprepared. You will be spiritually open. You will be spiritually hindered. And you will not be very effective in the kingdom if you neglect the word of Christ. If your home is in shambles right now, the question you should ask is how much word is in it? My child is under an attack. Am I praying the word over them? We neglect the word at our own peril because the word gives us the full picture of who our God is and what he is for us, what he does for us. And when we don't do this, we are we're anemic, we're spiritually anemic because we're not eating enough bread. Yes, prayer is powerful. Pray the word. Yes, fasting is important and necessary. When you fast from the bread, feast on the bread. This bread. We neglect the word of Christ at our own peril. So get in the word. Secondly, spiritually, we are not fighting a defensive war. This is the great problem with the church over the last 200 years is rather than constantly going after the kingdom of darkness with the Word of God through evangelism and missions and unstopped preaching and praying and going and speaking and proclaiming to the world. We thought, man, it's going to to hell fast. We're just waiting for some secret rapture to come. So let's fortify the church the best we can, dig five or six moats around it, and just make sure that no darkness can get into here while never doing nothing to go get in the darkness out there. My friends, Christ did not call and bring His kingdom to fight a defensive battle where we just sit and just take blows from the enemy over and over. No, He equipped us to go give blows to the enemy. We're the ones on the offensive. It's why when when the Lord said to His disciples that 
I will, Peter, upon this rock, I will build a church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Notice he didn't say the armies of hell. The gates of hell shall not prevail. What do gates do? Gates are a defensive function. Meaning, who's the one bombarding the gates of hell with the word of Christ? It's the church. We're too busy fighting a defensive battle and wondering why the the principles of darkness just keep gaining ground. It's because we're fighting a defensive battle when Christ called us to offense. When Christ said go, he should have said charge. Because that's what we're called to do. We are called through daily missionary evangelistic work to take the sword of Christ to the powers of darkness. And fight the good fight of the faith. And we might be shocked to see just how much ground darkness starts losing around us if we would get together and start going doing something about it. Because here's the final truth. Fighting with a sword means close combat. If you've got a sword and you want to fight from a distance, you're not going to be effective. Fighting with a sword means you've got to get up close. You've got to go where the darkness is. You've got to get in people's lives. You've got to speak the word with them. You've got to be willing to wrestle in the mud and the dark and get on the front lines while we're happy sitting in the comfortable back part, right? We want to be back in what we call the rear detachment in the army. Everybody's back there drinking mimosas. Not here for the kingdom of God. We're the front lines. And you've got to want to be there. You've got to take this gospel and day after day want to storm the captivities of darkness. Why? Because you've got the most powerful weapon at all. It requires close combat. So get this in your home. Get this word in your lives. Get in the lives of other people and give them the word. Get on the front lines of darkness and share the gospel with people. Go where the darkness is. Because you are a bearer of light. You serve the Holy One of God and you are more than a conqueror in Him. So it's time to wield the sword, church. Because we find within it a word like no other. Let's pray. God, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You for its power and its authority. We thank you that you have given us a weapon that cannot be defeated by the powers of darkness, but that can overcome any stronghold, God, by your grace, by your mercy, by your sovereignty. And Lord, I pray that you will charge up your people, that you will that you will show us that we have been called to be a mighty army for you. Onward, Christian soldiers, moving forward, going and making disciples, teaching them to observe all that you have commanded, God, laying day by day the foundation of your word for people as we faithfully disciple those around us. Whether it's our children, whether it's our neighbor, whether it's our co-worker, whether it's our family, God, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you will help us take the word to the powers of darkness. God, that you will, that you will show us how we can better preach the word to our own souls our own failures, our own frustrations. God, that we would not grow weary by the realities of darkness, but get further further emboldened to go to battle, to go to take the good fight of faith with the Word of Christ and the armor of God. God, You did not give us armor for our back because we don't live on retreat. 
So God, let us press forward. Let us press forward with the word you gave us. It is sufficient. It is powerful. And we look to the Holy One of God. We look to Jesus, who is our strength and our comforter, our general, our king. And Lord, we say to you, lead us to victory. Here in Anchorage, here in our homes, here in our lives, here in Alaska, here in the United States, here across the world, lead us to victory. That your name may be sung throughout the nation. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.